So welcome to episode four. It's religion, uh, an addendum. Uh, if not God, what? And the reason for me making this and having this opener is after having created that episode and, and publishing it and really thinking about it, I had a conversation with my wife and she brought up a really good point um, about how I relay my inf the information as far as what I think about God and religion. For many, it can come off as very antagonistic or callous or judgmental. Um, and I'm not taking anything back to, as far as what I said in the video. But the point that my wife brought up was that I was taking something away from people and that it was sort of cruel and callous to not replace it with something or at least provide, which, like she said, um, provide a framework for what you believe and for what you have come to know so that it, it can give people a foundation to stand on and that you're not just pulling the rug out from underneath them and letting them flounder into oblivion. So in trying to prepare for this episode, this addendum, I found that it was easier just to write it out because sometimes it's a little hard to just riff about these things off the cuff and have it make coherent sense. So I'm going to share with you what I wrote and try to uh, expound upon it or possibly just go with what, what I got. Because it's an important feature for the creation of a better future. Not getting rid of religion, but reimagining what we conceive about religiosity, spirituality, and metaphysics. So, there is a problem with religion, yes, but for many, they choose not to see it, or perhaps it's not really a choice. If it's not a choice, what's going on? If religion is such a terrible thing as, I've, as I have stated, why do so many remain enthralled? Hope. Hope is the thing that continues to keep humans held captive in a self-destructive relationship with religion. We have native people adopting a religion forced upon them through violence and genocide, conforming as a way to survive. African slaves, too, were forced into adopting the Christian religion and succumbing to a white savior in hopes that they may one day be accepted by their captors. And for most of the descendants of European colonists, they adopted their religious faith by force, by force from their parents. I know of very few children that could give reasoned, thoughtful consent to any religion or its practices. You may think that force is a harsh word, but most likely this reaction is a conditioned reflex taught to you by whatever religion you were given over to as a child. If I said a child was forced to be a Christian, you most likely feel upset 
But if I say a child was forced to be a Satanist, you most likely would wholeheartedly agree with me. Not aware that this reflexive reaction is conditioned, it is the juvenile good-bad binary, the good versus evil. God is good and the devil is bad. So our world reflects this childish notion with no room for reason or thought, no trust for our, our intuitive knowledge of what is best for us as humans. No, it's some God that knows best, except he can't really make up his mind. Or rather, it's really the devil that made you do it. Childish. By way of inquiry, we can come to know that many of the things religion rails against are natural and normal for beings living on an evolving planet within an evolving universe. So what is it that keeps people enthralled? It is hope that keeps people under the thumb of, a religious, of religious dictators, false prophets, and charismatic con artists. Most people trust that what is being relayed to them in church or temple is true. But what hope lies within these institutions that can make humans fall victim to erroneous thoughts and teachings? What hope do they really offer? The single most hopeful lie they offer is that they know what happens to you when you die. Death is the single most feared aspect of our existence. The notion that one day you will no longer exist terrifies many, if not most, people. For some, believing that their loved ones are going to some special place to live in a world much better than this gives them hope. And these religious con artists know, that, know this and exploit this fear. These priests, preachers, and gurus extort this very real fear, offering a steep price for a comforting story of eternal bliss in some heaven they have never visited, a promise of heaven awaiting the subservient faithful, a promise given by a God they have never proven exists and one they have never really talked to. This too was why I remained in the religion of my family. The hope of a life or resurrection where I could see my loved ones again. When I was eight years old, my great-grandmother died of a heart attack right in front of my eyes. I remember it as vividly today as any day. I remember being unable to help her. I called 911 and frantically called one of my aunts, whose number was next to the phone there on the side table. Afterwards, I waited by my great-grandmother's side, watching her die. By the time the ambulance and my aunt had come, she was gone. And I remember thinking to myself that my nana was sleeping. And then at some moment later, I announced that she was no longer there. I remember staring at her lifeless body, hoping that she would wake up. And after some time, I knew that whatever it was that my nana was, was no longer there. This would not be the last time that I would see death up close. So, from an early age, earlier than most, I knew the pain of loss and I knew the face of death. And I also knew of the carrot dangled by religion. Just three years later, I was baptized. 
I was solidifying my entry into a relationship with God so that one day I would see my Nana again. But there was a problem. She was an unbeliever. Oh, she went to church. She was a devout Baptist Christian. I was a devout Jehovah's Witness. Just another version of Christian Christianity. The false hope was different for my Nana and for me. So, which of our hopes took precedent? It was in this realization that doubt began, and so I had questions. Preachers and con artists don't like to be questioned. Needless to say, I emerged from religion without answers, and so I began to seek them on my own. And now, I am here to give you answers to questions you too may have posed to preacher, priest, or guru. Does God exist? And the big one, what happens after we die? But first, we have to have a few uh, myths dispelled. One. The connection we feel when we go to church or temple is similar to the one we feel when we go to school or to a party or plan a trip with friends, say, to see an eclipse. A concert featuring an artist we deeply admire surrounded by others sharing in that same feeling. It has no strict relation to God. Two, religions and priests have never demonstrated that they can talk to God. The Pope, for God's sake, rides around in a bulletproof car. Prosperity gospel preachers can't miraculously rain down money from heaven like so much manna. Much less ask God to do big things like heal the sick, end poverty or homelessness. Their gods created the universe but can't solve mundane human problems. I used to pray to God when domestic violence was being inflicted upon my family. I would beg God for help when we were without enough food or without a home to sleep in. When I was bullied and picked on in school, I prayed. From the mundane to the extreme hardships I faced, never ever did I get a peep from God. I'm sure you have had the same or similar experiences. Three, death and heaven are concepts these priests and preachers can never tangibly demonstrate to exist. The rules for entry into the kingdom of heaven are such that people who've committed horrible acts against others, say like any of the numerous priests who got away with raping and molesting children, some of these believe they can still gain entry into this exclusive club, and many whose lives have been beneficial to our society are deemed unworthy of heaven, like, say, Harvey Milk or Freddie Mercury. They have never raised people from the dead as they claim their savior to have done. They've never demonstrated a direct line to God or an ability to speak to those who at this very moment reside in heaven. Other than spurious claims any dime store con artist or magician could replicate. These are myths, deceits, in outright lies. So, if these things are not true, then what is? My wife once told me that it's hard for people to hear these things, that I am taking the one thing that religion has to offer, that it is cruel to take away hope from people. My wife is the sweetest person I've ever met. She has such a good heart, 
She feels so much for other, for others. Her empathy knows no bounds. I truly admire this about her. She has changed the lives of many simply with her genuine kindness and empathy. So I listen when she informs me of my stark bluntness. Her and I have had many discussions on the matter of religion. Always, she circles back to the necessity of providing hope where it has been taken away. It is unkind of me to expect anyone to abandon their hope without a suitable replacement. The fears we feel are real. The sadness and loss we feel are real and can leave us lost in a fog of despair when we do not have the answers as to why. Why do we die? Where do we go? What hopes are there if God is not where we thought he was? Death can be understood just as life can be understood. Within this vast universe, many mysteries exist. As humans living on this tiny blue planet, we have come to know a slim margin of what makes up this reality we call existence. So in the aspect of life and existence, we only know a small fraction of what is possible. Humans are limited by their senses, yet we are capable of creating devices and methods to expanding upon these limitations. A prime example is the invention of the microscope. The ability to perceive the microscopic enabled us to alleviate our need to believe in spirits as the cause to sickness and other ailments. Yet, some continue to blame unproven beliefs given over to antiquated notions that religiosity peddles. By way of inquiry, coupled with the invention of devices, we can change belief to knowledge. The limitations of human senses cause us to perceive the universe in a very particular way. By altering the way we perceive, we can begin to give human beings the beginnings to a new form of knowing or knowledge. The universe itself seems to exhibit polarization, appearing as paradox, heat and cold, out and in, convex and concave, male and female, life and death. If left at these simplistic black and white binary options, the universe would look rather different than it appears to our senses. We perceive a fluid continuum of polarization. In between these binary extremes, life unfolds. Life as it appears begins at birth, and after what appears to our senses as life unfolding, death brings it to an end. But, much like the microscopic world that we once knew nothing of, there exists a fluid spectrum between these polarized states. Where does cold end or heat end? Do they not dissipate with the other, transition between states? Liquid becomes solid, gases become liquids, traveling be between states of being. All things are in a constant state of change. Your very body never remains the same, even on a cellular level. Why would death and life be outside the rules of the universe? Transitory, ever-evolving, ever-changing. Life into death into life. But how do we know? The hard problem is the measurement. Religion says God, and we know intuitively and physically that this is bogus. 
Yet this God, when offered, is received without the same doubt or scrutiny. Yet, as stated before, we see the evidence of nature's polarity all around us. We can measure some aspects of these effects and their causes, others we cannot as of yet. A great wealth of what we now know came from intuitively imagining and contemplating. To know required testing. So can life and death be tested? Yes, but we are currently limited to the tools at our disposal, such as the mind, the body, inventions, laboratory testing, taste, touch, smell. But humans are capable of surpassing these limitations by way of development of new tools to augment these limitations. So some of these things can be done now, but due to religious interference of natural evolutionary progress, it is slow going. The brain is plastic in nature, malleable. The mind or id that resides in a way within this limited apparatus is also expansive. We can experiment with these limited tools to put to the test the nature of life and the nature of death. Tools such as meditation, hallucinogenics, experience, danger, the learning of new things, everything that we do contributes to the experiment we call life. To know why we die, we must understand why we live. Religion tells you that we live because God. Not a very deep answer. Science makes it a random chance occurrence, not a particularly pleasant answer. Yet the universe shows us that the greatest mysteries are yet to be experienced with countless universes far into the great depths of space. When a flower dies, its physical makeup transitions into a more basic form of matter that in turn helps in feeding the new growth that emerges from where it once stood life into another form of life. But what of the non-physical makeup of this flower? Perhaps we have not yet invented the mechanisms to measure or to discern those aspects as of yet. But we can imagine that as with all other things in the universe, it should follow some of the underlying principles of universal law. That perhaps once measurable or discernible would become as common knowledge much like the microscopic world we once knew nothing of. The fact that a few humans devise and adhere to nonsense ideas does not make them so. Ask yourself why you allow yourself to believe things someone else cannot and has not yet proven. When what I just laid out as an alternative is something you can and should explore and experiment with for yourself. Yet, yet the fact of the matter is that you already are. It's only that you are unaware of it. Like the fish that does not know that it exists in a body of water that flows down a stream that meets the ocean housed on a massive water planet. So too humans are unaware of the vastness of the wondrous universe that they are safely wrapped within. We live and have life as a matter of universal standards. The universe creates and evolves and so do we. Evolving requires certain parameters to function on principle. Without the demarcation of a bounded condition, what would differentiate you from everything else in existence? A bounded condition like, say, your body, separates you enough 
to enable life. Life thus becomes a mechanism of the universe as you perceive it as a separate entity from other entities, presenting you with varied events called living to change one thing into another thing. Transitory. Death is the edge to that bounded condition that leads to a new bounded condition. Life unto life bound in demarcations of time, given hollow names such as life and death, when in fact it's just merely transition. So that's what I came up with after having a very candid conversation with my wife. Because she's she's very caring and and she tends to lead with that. You know, and it's a good balance for us. Speaking of polarization, it's like we're very it's it's like we're opposites. We have this balancing with each other. This little dance between um what she knows and what I know and my experience with her experience. And it tends to be a very pleasant way of interacting because she helps me to see things that I don't see. And in doing so, she's helped me to understand how to explain these things to people in a way that I hope brings them a bit of clarity because plainly speaking, Priests and prosperity gospel preachers and even aspects of, of what the Dalai Lama talks about are, limita- are limited because of, of uh, the human aspect of, of existence. Like, I don't know what's next as far as evolutionary development for humans. But what I do know is that we can't keep keep ourselves contained within the antiquated notions of gods and deities and, and, and fear of death. Because there's such great mystery to existence. There's such, a, there's such a plethora of things we don't know about the universe. But that I guarantee you that we're, we're all going to find out. And that to think that the universe wishes to create life and beauty only to see it snuffed out in such a degree that it's it's painful and emotional and callous and cold is is just human beings not seeing what's truly right in front of them and i hope that you re-listen to this these things because i know sometimes my writing can be a bit obtuse but to plainly say it is that I say that God doesn't exist. I say that religion wishes to subjugate you to, to antiquated ideas. But the new ideas are, are emerging. There are many resources that you can look to to find out, just as I have found, found out, that death has nothing to be feared, but something to anticipate because it's transitory in nature, like all things in the universe. Things change from one thing to another and back again and over again. 
And it sounds fantastical, but if you've believed for years that there's a deity up in the sky, up, up in the clouds, hanging out with angels, playing harps, I don't think it's too far of a stretch to, to sort of open your mind to the basic and underlying principles of the universe and the transitory nature of energy and, and, and thought and imagination and the, the illusion of time and the illusion of the physicality of our world and our existence and our, and our universe. Uh, so it's painful to lose people. It's painful to exist at certain times. It's painful, but it's also joyful and, and beautiful. The universe is a very large paradox machine. It's a, it's a, it's, it's strange and unfathomable and, and yet it's beautiful. So I'm going to expound upon these parameters and these, these thoughts just so I can give you a bit of a, some, some tangible data to sort of, you know, sink your teeth into, because I don't want you to feel like you would feel talking to a preacher or talking to a priest who just says, Hey, believe me, don't worry. Because all of these things that I'm saying, you can investigate on your own and you probably do some of these things already. And everyone's engaged in, 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 in the, uh, the, the sort of, uh, investigation of death merely by investigating what it means to be alive. Because like the, the polarity and the paradox of the universe, you, you cannot know the light without the dark. You cannot, you, you, you cannot differentiate between the heat and the cold at certain measures. So it's, it's such an interesting ride and it's an interesting existence filled with joy and filled with pain. The loss we feel when, when people transition. That's why I say transition. I don't say people die. I don't say that they, that they, they're going to heaven. I say they're trans, it's a transitory, uh, it's a transitory uh, event when people's bodies cease to function properly. We don't really know what happens to you when you die. We don't know what it, what consciousness is and if it's measurable. One day we probably we, we will be able to measure it. We may be able to harness it. We may be able to hold on to it longer. Uh, these things are there in the future for us to explore. And so in that exploration, I hope that you find hope in these words that, that loss is real. It's a, it's a real experience. It's part of our existence, but it's transitory in nature.